Sunday, Marie. Happy Sunday, Diane. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. How are you doing? I'm doing excellent today. Is it right here in D.C.? No, thanks. I haven't been outside today. I've been on Zoom calls most of the mornings, but I don't think so. It looks cloudy, though, because I hear kids outside playing, so I don't think so. Oh, okay. It's been raining here all day. Wow. But you did y'all get the snow that came through? No, we didn't get any snow. Yeah, we got snow this week. It's supposed to have been six inches. We might have got two or three, but the rain came afterward and melted away. But then when I looked at people who live north of us, they actually got snow that stuck. So when, they got when did it when did it start snowing there? Um is it Wednesday or Thursday it snowed? Because one of my neighbors had asked me to come over and pick up something. I didn't even know it was going to snow. And she said, you know, we are trying to. Um, I, that's why I called you. I need you to pick it up before it snows. I'm thinking, what are you talking about? And then she said it's going to snow today about six inches. And I, said, I didn't even know that. Then as soon as I left her house, it starts snowing. And it snows the whole day. And then it started raining and all melt, most of it melts away. But when I look online to some of my friends' homes, they have snow. Like in Baltimore, like our cousins live in Baltimore, they actually have like two or three inches on the ground. Oh, yeah. yeah. Places like Boston and New York, I think they got six to eight inches. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, so we got it too, but it didn't last, which is a good thing. I thought it was too early to snow, but then I was looking online a few years ago, maybe eight or ten years ago, we got like 20-something inches around this time of the year. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah, if we are in winter, it seems like to me since COVID, it seems like it's been one long day. It's just <laughs> like a groundhog's day. Just wake up, it's the same day. You know, it's probably different for people like you who work, but for people like it's like, it's like one big long day. All the seasons. I don't remember July. I don't remember the summer. <laughs> oh. So now we're in winter. So yeah, winter's here. Winter. Yeah. Yes. I said, okay. Actually, Ooh. starting tomorrow is the no, is the winter right. solstice. Yeah, cause yes, that's the twenty first of tomorrow, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, made it through a new season. Absolutely. Yeah, hope we keep making it through the rest of them. So, we are going to talk about quotes today. Uh, first of all, let me tell you, I sent. When I sent the the thing out about books, uh, people one of my rel one of our relatives said, you know, we should start a family business because all of us got all these books and we should have it in a repository. And I said, I forgot that we are all book lovers. And she said, we shouldn't use Amazon. We should have our own business because Amazon takes seventy percent. We can do it ourselves. I said, okay. <laughs> I mean, she might be right. It's just a matter of the how part of that, right? Of yes. shipping. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so we'll we'll uh, we'll maybe do a Zoom call or brainstorm over there during the holidays, since everybody a little bit, you know, not working so hard and doing so many things. You know, so because uh, she said most people been to grad school, that most people book collectors. Adele, Adela even talked about Tim, our, our cousin. She said he got books in boxes. That he had so many books. I said, yeah, I forgot that we were all book lovers. And so then she'd think about the textbooks. 
Because she mm. said this semester she actually rented her textbooks. Um, oh. Because she said that's another way we can make money. We can rent the books. Instead of selling them, you rent them. And so people send them back to you after they finish reading them or, you know, using them. And you, then you, you still have them in your, in your inventory. I said, okay, you know, the people were renting books. She said, yeah, that's the new thing. She said she rented all her books this past semester. So. Interesting. I mean, it's something to think about. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So, you know, we have to, uh, I was thinking, when you sent the other, the last podcast, I think it was eight week, eight podcasts. I mean, we've been doing this for two months. So, you know, this is consistency. So, wow, it's amazing. But just with an idea, people are using our ideas to think about bigger things as getting a family collection of books, of inventory of books and renting them out. Mm-hmm. So, so, let's keep going, Marie. Absolutely. Yeah, so we're talking about today um, our quotes, our, our quotes that we like. So we can start with you. What's your, what's your favorite quote? My favorite quote, and I have realized something, Diane, as we have done these podcasts, how integral you have been to my life. I mean, you've kind of woven throughout my life because yes. I don't remember the uh, details. I don't remember if you were at my house in Hampton or Charlotte. I don't remember it, but I'm going to see if you remember this. Do you remember the book on my coffee table and it said think and you read through it and I said, oh no, Diane, you can't have that book. That I love that little book. <laughs> it was quotes by Dr. Robert Anthony. And okay, and I think it was in Charlotte when you and Sharon came down. That's what I think. But the book had, it had like black soot around it because it survived the house fire. Okay. <laughs> but it's like a little handheld book. It's out of print now. It's just called Think. And the quote that I, I, I would say rises to the very top is, you can only have two things in life, reasons and results. And reasons mm-hmm. don't count. Reasons don't count. So reasons are like excuses. So the whole point is to get results one way or the other. I have used that since I had the book, since the 1990s. Just kind of in my mind know that the whole point is to get to the end. The end is to get to the result. Now, there may be things that are in my way. And if those things that are in my way mean that I need to go to an, off to another to another something else, then I'll do that. But you need to get results and stop coming up with excuses for why you don't do things or don't have things. Uh, so that would that would be like the number one quote for me. Okay, you said uh, reasons. You can only have two things in life. So you can only have okay. two things in life. You can have reasons or you could have results. So you can sit around and you can listen to people talk about the reasons they can't get a job, the reasons they can't start a business, the reasons they feel like they can't keep money, all that stuff, reasons, excuse, say excuses, or you can talk about the results of what you have done. Because when he says you can only have the two things, you're going to have reasons or results, but reasons don't count in the end. They don't count. Well, you know, my career has been since I left college. It's always been in sales, and in sales, it's no reason better than than a sale or a result. So you really couldn't. You could give reasons, mm-hmm. 
but they didn't really want to hear them. They just wanted if you had if you had results, you didn't even have to explain. They don't care how you got them. You just got them. You know, you got. <laughs> yep, that's right. That's right. <laughs> and so, so uh, I remember. So I, well, I've worked from home probably my first. I worked from home probably in the eighties. you know, they gave us computers and laptops and all that stuff back. And they didn't. And my husband used to say. Diana, are you having a slick day or a sick day because you're still in bed? And I just want to tell them I've met my numbers. They didn't care if you met them in four days and five days. And if you took you the whole week, mm-hmm. I just had to meet my numbers. Mm-hmm. And, so, um, and so I know about results. Mm-hmm. And I think once you've been trained like that, uh, it's hard to deal with people who just have a whole bunch of reasons and have a bunch of meetings with no results. And uh, one of my good friends, um, he always he when he joined this uh, this organization I belong to. Every time we had a meeting, and they would just prolong things, prolong things. He always say, "What is the drop dead date? When are mm-hmm. we going to get this?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were just used to meetings, but he was used to because he's an entrepreneur. He was used to a drop dead date, and when, when we plan to have this done. And so he was interested in results, not meetings, not reasons, not. You know, prolonging the inevitable. <laughs> so I like that. I like that. Um, I think one quote uh, reminds me: don't uh, ask for, don't ask for forgiveness. Permission. Permission. Ask for forgiveness. Just keep it moving. You know, if you make a mistake and if it didn't work, then you ask for forgiveness. But if you get it done, you know, everybody's happy. Right. So. Everybody's happy. So I think that um, it's interesting when you uh, you said let's talk about quotes uh, because when uh, I wrote my book, um, I went before I finished before I even finished the book, I went and found quotes that I want in the book, and so the quotes were just as important to me as the books. You put, so you, one, put you put quotes in your book, right? I, yeah, I put quotes in my book, but I wouldn't have found quotes before I even finished the book. Like I was like I had like a pages of quotes and the book wasn't even finished that I knew I had to figure out, you know, because every, you know, if, if you're a reader, you most every book that you read at the top of every chapter is a quote, some <laughs> books. And so yes. I wanted that same feel. I wanted that same because, you know, you could read the quote and get lost in the quotes. So I wanted that same feel for my books. So I put quotes in my book. But one of the um, the quotes that I found when I was writing my book that um, that I love, and it kind of, it's an awakening quote for me, and it's written by a lady uh, who is a physician, I think internal medicine physician, but um, she believes uh, in, in the way she treats patients, and this is her quote, helping, hmm. fixing, and serving represents three ways of seeing life. When you help, you see life is weak. When you fix, you see life is broken. When you serve, you see life is whole. Mm, wow. Fixing and helping may be work of the ego and service work of the soul. Oh, that is deep. And so when I read that, I was thinking so most of my life I've been helping and fixing because I was saying life is woken and weak and broken and maybe because I was coming from a broken and, and, and broken place. But now when I do stuff, 
uh, even when I speak, am I fixing, helping, or am I serving? Uh, because I want to work more for my soul than my ego. And um, and so she believes, she's, a, she's an internal medicine physician, but she's a wholeness physician. She believes that doctors, they always talking about cures, but they should be talking about service and wholeness. And um, because if you if you get a patient um, whole, if you're working towards wholeness instead of cures, the people will you know stay healed. They would get healed along the process. And so healing, she said, but she believes that she's also Jewish and she tells Jewish stories. She's written a lot of books too, um, not a lot of books, but she's written book about this idea around healing and wholeness and serving. Um, she believes that every person is a healer, mm. and also you can heal yourself. And she said, so cure is just something that med- the medical profession tried to do, but but healing is in wholeness is what we should really be striving for. And so um, ever since I wrote my book and started reading about healing and wholeness instead of cures and fixing, um, I try to think more on healing and wholeness than fixing. That's interesting, Diane, um, because I remember writing a blog post back in 2013 using that very same quote um, because I had come home and I was in Charlotte. I came home in 2013 to Hampton for a week and David's toilet was running and kind of broken. Mm-hmm. And so I went out to Home Depot and, you know, bought what I thought it took to fix it. And I worked on fixing that toilet probably three of the five days that I was supposed to be enjoying my time visiting. Right. And I'll never forget the feeling of here I am trying to fix my son's toilet and I've never even fixed my own toilet, any toilet. And I think I could fix his toilet, fix his life. I can't. First, Mm -hmm. fix yourself and let other people fix themselves. Because what happened in the end is I did all this trying to fix the toilet and I think I made it worse. And so he comes home the morning I'm getting ready to leave and says, oh, yeah, mom, you just need to do this, this and this. And it was fixed. So I I remember I came home and I wrote the blog post about trying to fix other people's lives. Just quit trying to fix someone else's life. And I found that quote at that time. So when you said it, it resonated with me that, yes, you know, helping fixing is not what you're supposed to do and not the way you're supposed to see it. You know, other people, you know, you don't try to fix other people's lives. Just be there for them when they need you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just I, I, what I what I try to do is listen, you know, um, and listen. And then also, too, once I, what I'm learning is um, listen, but also every conversation is not appropriate for every individual. Um, because then if they don't get you or you don't get them, we started trying to fix and help each other <laughs> instead of just saying that, you know, it's just, it's not a, it's, it's not a good fit right now. It's not that the relationship is not, this is not a good fit and not just, you know, don't start helping and 
fixing. And I mm-hmm. think that that's the nature of women a lot, too, that helping and fix. I don't see men trying to fix and help and save that much, but maybe I'm being uh, stereotypical. But, um, but, you know, just am I serving? And then also, too, you don't get so tired. Just think if you wouldn't have been so Wasted your fabulous time. You could have been at Boca Beach. <laughs> wasted your fabulous time, you know, fixing and trying to fix something instead of just enjoying and serving. Maybe you would serve him and call the plumber or serve him and just said, you boy, fix your toilet, your toilet running. You know, <laughs> Right, right. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. Well, um, well, you know, I'm one of those people who love quotes. And so when you said that, um, I love quotes, and uh, I think that I, you know, I used to get up in some morning and just read quotes uh, just to get me going. But this is one quote right here. And it's another one. It's another person that gives quotes. Uh, and this is Diane paraphrasing his quote. It's um, C.S. Lewis. Mm-hmm. And, um, this is Diane paraphrasing it, so don't. So if anybody's reading or hearing this, you know, it's not him speaking, it's Diane speaking his words. So he said that, you know, if if you're a good egg, like, you know, if, if you're a good egg and you never hatch, you would die a rotten egg. Oh, wow. Meaning that, you know, even if you're a good person and you don't be who you really are, you didn't, you did not fulfill the purpose of you being here, right? Is that what that means? You are, that's what it means. And then he said, you won't even, you won't even fly. You know, a bird can fly. So you're a bird, you're an egg, and you just think, I'm going to just stay an egg and let people appreciate my eggness. <laughs> Inside of you, <laughs> I mean, is that, you is that, that egg. It's kind of more about taking chances and risk. Get it outside of your yeah. shell. You're opening up. Yeah. Okay. Opening up. And going and fly, because a bird can fly. But you being a good egg doesn't serve anybody unless they somebody crack you up and eat you. Hmm. But if you are egg, open up, you know, break it up in the shell, use your wings and fly. And it reminds me of another, it's not on the quote or story that I heard this, one of the best sermons I heard about an eagle. This one man was talking about when eagles, um, have a baby eaglets, is that the word, baby eagles, that um, the, the the parents actually go out and find the food. And as he was saying that, you know, they come back, but they know what kind of what kind of food the kids like too, the eaglets like. Like some of them they bring um, crickets and some they bring worms and so, um, or berries. So when they come back, each, each bird has its mouth open, but the mom, I think the mom and the father fetch food for them. But at some point, the eagle, the eagle, when she he or she comes back, she started bringing like pieces of tin and glass and sharp items to put in the nest because she and she put so they won't be comfortable sitting mm-hmm. in the nest. So at one point, she wants them to get out the nest and hunt their own food because they can fly. But if you so they don't make it comfortable. They don't bring food back. They bring sharp oxygen back and drop them in the nest and fill the nest up with sharp oxygen. And so that eventually the birds have to get out the nest and fly and get their own food. And I say it always reminds me when you're dealing with children or people, sometimes when you make it too comfortable for them, they never leave the nest. They never use their wings. They never know. 
they can go get even a bigger worm or a bigger insect or bigger something what what God has for them because they're comfortable sitting in the nest. So as parents and guardians and folks, you know, even you as a supervisor, sometimes we have to make the nest uncomfortable so they can go and do what they have. That's to absolutely do. true. Be, you know, in, yeah, and I can, I can kind of see that with allowing kids to, to leave home. And, you know, when you leave home, your hometown, you know, you can be whoever you want to be. You can always come back home. But I've learned until you do that, you really don't have a good grasp on who you are and could be. Um, you know, I think about um, think about quotes. I put quotes in my book, too, Diane. <laughs> you know, wow. And um, when I taught high school, I taught keyboarding and business law. I realized pretty quickly that I needed an opening activity for them. And something that would be useful. So this was back in early 2000s. And I gave them all like disc. You know, when you put the disc in the computer, they had the disc with their names on it. And at the beginning of class, they knew all they had to do was walk in, get their folder with their disc. I would have a quote on the board. And they would take that quote that was on the board. It was keyboarding. So you type the quote in and then tell me what you thought about the quote. And then if you wanted to just save it to your disk, you saved it to your disk. But if you wanted me to read it out loud, then just print it out and I would read two or three out loud before we started the lesson. And I wanted to teach them a couple things. One, to think. And two, I would put quotes up that may relate to other subjects, math, science, English, something like that. And then three, I wanted them to have something to take with them after this class. So I'll never forget for me, I enjoyed finding new quotes and then I would I got to the point where I wrote the quote and then I told them a little bit about the person who said the quote and one of the quotes I'll never forget that changed my life because I found out about this person was uh, Frank Lloyd Wright Frank Lloyd Wright was a famous architect you know he he built the Guggenheim Museum in New York he did a lot of things around harmony of, of architecture with the environment and kind of organic design that now people are using, but back when he was doing it, it was un, unheard of. And one of his quotes was that I put up on the board that got a lot of attention from them was television is just chewing gum for the eyes. Because I wanted them to understand, one, don't sit there wasting your time. Just like you're chewing gum, it's just you're doing nothing, right? <laughs> it's just, it's like chewing gum for the eyes. Like chewing gum, you're not getting anything out of that other than just chewing, Right. And television is just like chewing gum for the eyes. And so it was something great for them to even contemplate at that point. Uh, and then I told them a little about about who Frank Lord Wright was. So quotes have been important to me, too. Mm. Mm -hmm. And then also one thing uh, I, I worked in the school system a few times in my life. And one time one thing when, when you said that, that. Um, and I. And the times that I've worked in school, sometimes I'm thinking, what am I doing here? Or I've enjoyed it. Either one of the other things comes to my mind. But one thing when you said that, that uh, that information that you dropped into a student's spirit might have changed their life. Either they use television to, um, to change other people's lives, or they stopped watching TV and started 
studying and maybe they finished college and medical school or law school, but we would, we would never, I can't say we will never know that, but I believe that anytime you step into a classroom with children and you put thought in it, like you put it, what you just did, it changes their, it changes somebody's life. You dropped, something happened when you did that. Cause I was thinking that's very powerful because I remember when, um, my cousin's son, our cousin's son was a kid. I should tell him, stop playing video games. Right. Event one. You know, in event one, because that's how you really have fun with it. Because you, you can watch other people, uh, you know, talk about your game. And also, too, you now have developed a skill set that you can use in any job or any, you know, start your own company. But instead of all that time playing the game, invent one. Find out how to start making your own video game. And and so, um, you know, he didn't do that, but he, you know, has all kinds of licensing and plumbing, you know, and electricity. Um, so, you know, he did use, he did listen to me, um, I think, you know, other people and other people plus influenced him. But, um, but I used to tell him that all the time. Don't waste your time doing that because your mind is, you can do so much more with your mind than doing that. Um, play games Especially that. now with kids. I mean, and, and I tell Danaja, my granddaughter, that because she watches a lot of YouTube videos of slime and hair and, you know, different things like that. I thought, mm-hmm. now you have everything you now need to start your own YouTube channel. <laughs> you you have the laptop, you have a camera, you, you have you know, everything you need. So that's what you probably should be spending your time doing. Even if it's not good starting out, at least, you know, it's interesting things to you that I, I firmly believe that. I, firmly believe that. I do too. I do too. Instead of always, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, instead of always being an observer of other people's talents, use your own talents, you know, if people don't realize that, I think the people who start YouTube channels, like I watch YouTube channels sometimes, and I watch uh, like people on TV, me on Facebook, and they come on every week or something. And um, you know, I watch people who raise their children, and I watch a set of twin boys. They like two years old, and the father t- teach them so much. But I was thinking, isn't it amazing? Now we can watch other mm-hmm. people's lives. So I think that people who spend a lot of time doing I think they should start, oh, I'm like you like you and I started this podcast so now we are not just calling each other on the phone and the, the conversation goes nowhere once we get off the phone now we have documents of our um like this woman I just got the phone right before she, we got on the call she called me because we were on the zoom call she said there's 48 people on the zoom call I was calling your name and you didn't answer and I said I didn't really hear you there's a lot of people on the call but she said, you know, the reason I was want to talk to you, because there's not too many people that, uh, you know, she said this, kind of meets our intelligence. So I wanted to talk to you because you wow. meet my intelligence. And I said, okay. Wow. So I said, okay. So that's what I'm saying. So why would you be uh, knowledgeable? Like we were talking about quotes, and people now know that, you know, we both read the same quote by Dr. Ramin. That's amazing to me because. I just got introduced to her about ten years ago, mm-hmm. and um, and 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 I still uh, I was listening to a, 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 
Christy on being. I think Christy's too. Oh, I love that. Let's do it every morning at 10 o'clock here. Christy Tip. Yes, I was. She interviewed Dr. Ramin, and I was listening to them talk um, and uh, listening to Dr. Ramin tell stories. And I can't remember the story, but I'm going to go back and listen to it again about the beginning the birth of the world. She was talking about the birth of the world and how when the world mm. was totally dark and a million ideas is in the world and when God mm. opened up the world, all those billion ideas came to life. And and I like that kind of, you know, it's a Jewish story. I got, it's a name for it. And I was thinking about it because you know, now that I'm in the sustainability space, I do some work in sustainability. I look at, I have a, um Instagram page on um sustainability but I do a lot around look at nature and I was just wondering how did God or you know how do evolutionist people think of how did a wars come about or an ant or a wasp or you know to me evolution don't wouldn't be able to do that it would take some great creative mind to think of an elephant and a wasp and a walrus you know and a human being and all these different mm. types of human beings. And so I was thinking that must have been amazing to be in darkness and all of that stuff come alive at once, you know, when the earth was born. Wow. So, um, but I think that um, the Bible says we know in part. And uh, just to think how all this stuff was put together to me is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Then it all works together. You know, everything has a purpose. You know, they don't teach us that much in school about ecology and sustainability. I think it's going to happen in the future. That's how we're going to learn to appreciate nature and what, you know, and not abuse nature and not abuse our, our land uh, because it all works together. You know, I think I think that um, COVID is helping with that, really. You know, so we're all, yeah. we all have all of these things that, used to take our attention is no longer there you know sports and going to the movies and going out to eat you know can't really do that so now people are planting gardens and you know cooking cooking for themselves and and it's it's just something that was always there but we had so many other options that we didn't avail ourselves of of just living off the land it's going back to to nature yeah, I think um, our cousin who's in grad school at uh, A&T, she's, she's doing her um, research in um, bringing agriculture and horticulture and aquaponics to teach it to children. The children learn to grow their own food. And so I was telling her I was on Instagram, and this woman, I had put it on my Instagram page, and, the, and there was a bunch of children around this plots of land with, you know, food, on a little box of gardens, and they and the question at the top of the page of the uh, of the photo: Should children learn to grow their own food, or is, should children growing their own food should be a part of the curriculum? And I was, and I sent it to her because it's like 250 uh, comments and 1,700 wow. yes. And so I was telling her, I think that you know we are on to something because you know I help her in her research. The, um, it, just think if we teach children how they grow their own food, like not when they get in the fifth grade, but at 
pre-K, pre-K four, because I think that if children learn to grow their own food, you know, to go, you know, y'all had your own garden in the back. Oh, yes. I took it for granted <laughs> that you had a garden in the back, but most children grow mm-hmm. with a garden in their backyard. Oh. But just to go out there and dig and see worms and bugs and, you know, use it's physical, um, it's uh, educational, it's, you know, like she's basing her being STEM-related, uh, science, technology, engineering, math, because you also can collect data. As children, you know, even little kids could. And I was telling her that if kids start it young, yes. it's just a part of them. You know, they will, yes, it's a part of what they, what they do. And I think that we should, they should incorporate that in the curriculum um, at school. Um, they should have a garden at the school or in their classroom, you know, either aquaponics or at their house, or, you know, from how to do it with the bed at home and the whole family could, they might just grow carrots or spring beans or whatever, you know, it could be one crop, but they need that experience and that exposure. And when I was working in D.C. public schools, one of the things I saw, you know, I saw a lot of hurt and problems. I said that what these kids need to do is get out of their houses and apartments and go outside and be in the dirt and dig because they think that things never Mm -hmm. change because things in their house never change. But if you ever planted anything or dug up the dirt and put a seed in it and went out there and watered it, took care of it, or even went out and saw that, the you know, it was green, now it's leaves, now it's snow, or whatever seasons you have, that things do change. But if you never see things change organically or physically, then you think that they don't change, so you don't think mm-hmm. you have to change. But they need to know that Absolutely. Maybe. And so, May, who is that, Diane? Who is our cousin that's doing that? Adela. So maybe Della can be our first guest speaker into the new year, and she can talk about that. Oh, yeah. She's the one that wants to do the family. Um, she don't want us to sell our books. She wants to have a, a, a family repository of books, and we sell our own books and make our own money and, you know, catalog them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. She'll be a good person because I think that um, what she's doing with this, uh, the last paper that I kind of uh, edited for her, uh, I really didn't, I didn't want to tell her. I didn't edit it because I'm not an editor. I sent it to uh, uh, Fiverr and let them edit it. That she, uh, the paper was, um, it's getting ready to develop her survey that she was be sending out. Should agriculture be taught in, um, elementary schools at the, you know, the earliest levels, at the pre-K level. Uh, so she, the paper is about how can this be, you know, really get the setting up the data part. And so she wants to, um, that's what she want to research to be in, you know, um, getting agriculture and, and uh, into our children's hands again. Um, I don't know if it ever was, maybe in our, when our country was agriculture uh, economy. The children learned very early because they worked on the farm, but we've gotten so far away from the farm. The children think food comes from um, from Walmart. Yeah, I mean, I do believe though that it's going to fundamentally change as we go into the future. You know, so you know, everybody's talked about how horrible yeah. 2020 was, but it was, 
you know, I believe this. It's the start of something great. You know, it's the re- rebirth. I think that, you know, yeah, in the, um, um, I was listening to Sherman this morning, and he said that we, we're, we can't go back. That's over. You can't go back to normal. Well, we all know what, we all kind of know what normal was, and some of us don't want to go back. I mean, some of us don't want to go back. I would be one of those who say, I don't want to go back. I want to go forward. I want to go forward into what what it could be. Uh, so, and some people are afraid of that mm-hmm. because they they would rather live in what they what they even if they were miserable, rather live in what what they understood versus something that they don't. It's something new, and they don't know what that new thing looks like. Uh, but I mean, I'm very hopeful of what this future looks like. Yeah, and I think that. Um... Well, I think you told me this probably 15 or 20 years, probably maybe maybe 15 years ago, that we should be thinking about, I think when the mortgage crisis, you told me there was going to be a mortgage mm-hmm. crisis before it was a mortgage mm-hmm. and a uh, crisis. You told me that because that all that equity and all that stuff and these inflated home prices were all fake, that it was all going to collapse. You told me that. Yes, I, I recognized it then. It was that money, you know, having worked with physical things uh, in fuel injector, it was like, oh, okay, this is a physical thing we're making. We buy the parts, we ship it out, we get paid for it. Then when I went to credit unions financial industry, I thought, oh, wait a minute, the product is not even real. I mean, <laughs> The product is not, it's not anything tangible. You think it is, but it's just a float between what they mm-hmm. could get the money for versus what they could loan you the money out for the difference in those rates. I'm like, Oh, that's, that's like smoke and mirrors. So yeah, I saw that one coming and I see, and I see good things coming right now, even though it's almost like, you know, you're having a baby where these nine months have been, gestation something's going to be born from this it is going to be painful birth is painful Mm -hmm. but what's coming out of this 2020 COVID is going to be glorious not for all but for some that's what I I believe that I think that and we had to um you had to stop and get impregnated and have this waiting period um and like you said, go through the guts and gore of what's going to happen. I think some of the guts and gore we've gone through, and also the exposure. Right. Now we know we're pregnant. <laughs> we can't hide it no and more. Pregnant, and you're baby. right. You can't be the same as you were once the kid is born than before the child was born. Yes. Yes. So you can't you can't just be laying around and thinking it's going to. You got to get up and. You know, make bottles and get the doppels right and find a babysitter. You got to do some work now. You got to do some work. That's over. And you <laughs> then you got to even get the food for the baby. You know, so so I one of the things if you look uh, if you Google it, they say it's going to be a mm-hmm. food shortage in the future. It's going to be a food shortage in the so if we where we started training children to grow their own food and then to me. You're gonna eat better. You're not, you know, you won't be thinking about McDonald's. If you once you have some real squash and real tomato sauce, the vine, 
and some apples that you grew in your backyard and peaches that you grew in the backyard that not every peach or apple is just perfectly round and shiny <laughs> and, you know, got that wax on it that you just, it's a regular apple with dents and once you eat that apple and you grow that apple and you pick the squash or the spinach and you grow your own potatoes, you know, you have a healthy community, you know, we have a, um, you know, healthier soil because we have killed the soil too by just building all these houses and not taking care of it, that people will become more conscious. And even the earth, when, when we first started COVID and everybody around the world was shut down, they saw the earth started healing. You know, the water came clear. It was animals in the, I think, in the canals in Italy they had never seen for years. And so um, I think that this baby we're getting ready to birth is not like any baby that we ever nope. had. And uh, like you said, it's going to be good, though, to me. I'm like you. I'm I'm hopeful. Um, you know, even with the uh, team, the environmental team that um, – that Biden put in place, to me, we need more people conscious of Earth because we have abused the Earth. And we got to be more, we got to take better care of Mother Nature. And, and, and I guess, Diane, the, the way I see that, it's almost like you just start with yourself. Amen. You know, start yeah. yourself by, you know, just doing practical things to live a simpler life. You know, even if that is, you know, buying some some uh, dirt and buying some of those, I forgot what the seeds are called, but it's the organic seeds off of Amazon and planting something on your deck. Because if you don't have you know, land to plant it on, start there. Start with reading magazines about, you know, backwood survival, you know, backward survival guide. Learn how to live off the land in case you need to. In case you need to. Well, my cousin David called me one day, our cousin David. We have a lot of Davids, and you have your David. My brother's name is David. We have a cousin David. Yes. And so, um, well, that's a good name, though. But um, he called me one day, and we were talking about, he said he planted a garden. I think it was the summer or something. He called me. But he said he was talking to his mom one day, who's probably close to 90 now. And so he said he was talking to her about gardens and stuff. And she was talking, she said, he was asking something about seeds. And mm -hmm. she said, well, we got our seeds from, um, he said, no, I didn't know this. She told me they got their seeds like when they cut up a, a, a green pepper, you saw the seeds, they would just keep those seeds and, you know, dry them out and use them for the next season or the mm -hmm. watermelon. I said, yeah. I said, I knew that. He said, I didn't know that's how people did it a long time ago. I said, that's truly you know, we were, most people were sustainable and recycled way before, you know, we had all this move to be sustainable and recyclable. But most people, that's how they survived. It was survival. It was not sustainability. It was survival. And so I was telling him that we don't, you are my age and you didn't know that. Just think what children don't know about seeds and planting and gardens. Right. Um, they th they think they have to, you know, get everything. But the other day I was cutting up a um, green pepper, and I said I should save these the seeds that I see here. Uh, we just think that we can just keep buying stuff instead of producing stuff. And Actually, I think we need to change that paradigm. That might not be a bad business idea, honestly. 
to take the seeds, come up with the business name, get you a little packet of seeds with the business name on it. You see what I'm saying? And then here's the green pepper seeds. Here are the pumpkin seeds. You know, that's not a bad business idea. I mean, I'm sure you... Watermelon seeds. We just throw them away now. Probably we recommend the trash. Yeah. Do you... the garbage disposal. Mm-hmm. That's not a bad business idea. Because it's hard to find the, I mean, you can buy seeds, but it's still not organic seeds. I mean, you're still buying, you know, seeds that may not be the healthiest of seeds. Generically modified. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've got some, whatever, somebody I met somewhere told me what kind of seeds to buy. And I bought some um, that I'm going to plant soon here. But there was a name for them that you had to buy this particular type or else it wasn't going to really be healthy seeds. Well, um, I was on a, um, on a, a all-day Zoom training of how to do aquaponics, and it was from East Oklahoma State College somewhere. Like, it's an all-day thing, too. But I remember there was people, there was a lot of people from Oklahoma, different colleges in Oklahoma that was on the call, because it was about 50 people on the call, and probably 30% was from Oklahoma. And the thing that, that not frightened me, but like shocked me was that they was talking about food insecurity, but they grow corn or, and soy uh, for commercial, they have commercial farms in Oklahoma. And they were talking about the reason they started this aquaponic center and training for the people in Oklahoma state, in the state of Oklahoma. I think it was a, one of the, um, not an HBCU, but minority serving institution. I think they served Native Americans because a couple of people who kind of brought this thing together were Native Americans. But they was talking about food insecurity. And I was thinking, how are you going to be in a state like Oklahoma or Kansas that's growing all that corn and, and you still be food insecure? And I was thinking, how crazy has this country gotten that all of the farms now are kind of commercial farms? They just grow corn. They just grow soybean. They just grow what the economy asked them to grow but they don't have farms or gardens just for, you know, your regular food that you eat every day. And they said that food insecurity is a huge problem out there. And it's a huge problem around the country, but I can see it being in urban areas, but not in rural areas. And so somehow we got to change people's mindset that food insecurity doesn't, should be this, by the nearest grocery store. That's how they kind of measure food insecurity. How many miles is your nearest grocery store? You know, what they sell whole foods like, you know, you know, giant, they sell everything. Uh, like, a, uh, I forgot the grocery stores in your area, but up here it could be Walmart or Giant or Safeway or Whole Foods. But they sell, the, you know, the, the plethora foods, you know, fresh foods. So I was thinking, but they don't have a lot of grocery stores in these communities in Oklahoma and some of the other people in the Paul was saying that's why they got into aquaponics. But I was thinking we need to de redefine that whole food insecurity model because there's no reason if you have land, you should be food insecure. Yeah, but uh, I remember hearing something on NPR. I can't remember what it was specifically about, but I remember it was small farmers in Virginia and they were talking about what these big seed companies like Monsanto mm -hmm. was doing as far as 
you know, if you were a farmer and you, especially if you were getting like government money that you had to buy their genetically engineered seeds, you know, or you couldn't go outside of doing that or you couldn't get money from the government, something along those lines. So basically these farms, this land, in order to really become commercially successful, these farmers have somehow connected commercially with these large seed companies and that, that's part of the problem, right? So it's, it's a bigger issue and it's all about commercial making money versus feeding the people healthy foods. Exactly. I, 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 I didn't see that on NPR, but I saw this, this, um, I saw this, um, documentary on Netflix. I wish I could find it, but it's when net, when I first got on Netflix about eight or nine years ago. And this guy, this professor, I think it was the Dean of School of Agriculture, some school out in Iowa or one of the state colleges out there, Iowa or Kansas or somewhere. And he said that there was a time in America that family farms, not these commercial farms that only grow soy, they only grow corn, really family farms that were really were part of the breadbasket of America. And he said that research from state universities and agriculture-driven universities, they changed the model. They said, let's have these, you know, let's partner with the uh, pharmaceutical, well, these companies like Monsanto, and let's create these hybrid of seeds that, you know, um, you know, pest control is, everything is controlled, everything is done a certain way everywhere. And he said that now that they look back, it made Americans less healthy, more diseases, uh, more problems than has done good. And he said if he could take it back, he would have kept it family farms, creating, like if you want to grow corn and wheat and barley or whatever, you could grow that and have your family farm instead of having these commercial properties that's ran by the government and by major corporations. And he said that they showed that like a long time ago when they made bread, like go back to Egypt days and they made bread, they just cut up wheat, they just cut wheat in whatever the wheat field mm -hmm. and they made wheat bread. And the reason that it was good bread and multi-fiber because it was not mono, it was not homogeneous, it was heterogeneous. There's all different grades of wheat out there that you cut up and make. But he said now when we make a multi-grain bread, we have to make it a multi-grain bread. We have to genetically go get this farmer, have to put this in here. It's like five different farms have to make this multi-grain bread, which usually get multi-grain just from one somebody's backyard garden who had who had wheat but he said now everything is genetically modified that you have to make things you have to make everything um meet a certain standard and so he said that was the worst decision our country made we can't take it back but um it made people it made us worse it made people hungrier uh more food deserts um it's, it's, he said it's really a bad model. So I think, you know, maybe we can't take it back. But like I said, what's coming, what's coming in the future um, may not have to take it back. It may just reverse itself back to where it was when we had our own gardens and people were growing their own foods. 
agree. Well, Marie, I think that we have, um, like you said, it's close to over like 50, 51 minutes. We have talked about our famous quote, so we are not here to help and fix. We're here to serve. And so our country and the world, we need to not only serve our communities and serve ourselves first and serve our communities. I think that we're on our way to this new baby. The baby has already been here, but, you know, we don't fetter all these bad foods. So. <laughs> we, <laughs> Made us sick. We had to have another baby. We had to have another baby. <laughs> Do it right this time. You know how that goes. Raise this kid right, you know, show her how to garden and show her what dirt is about. I remember when uh, Kasaya, my grandniece, was a baby. She was eight, six to eight months old, and she had a little snow studio one, and I took her down to the playground in our house, in my house in Danville. So this guy was down there with four little girls ranging from, like, two to about eight or nine. And so they were all playing. So um, she was in the – she might have been older. She Maybe she was 10 to 12 months. And so she would want to be down there eating dirt. And so every time she ate dirt, I would put my hand in her mouth and get it out. And so this guy was down there. I went to hospital. He said he knew remember me from hospital. I don't remember him. He told me those are his four daughters right there. So very, you're blessed. He said, so why are you keep brushing her off and taking dirt out of her mouth? I said, because I don't want her to eat dirt. He said, did you eat dirt? Yes, I'm sure I did. So he said, why do you want her to eat dirt? I said, what do you mean? What's your point? He said, the only way she's going to live life, she has to get dirty, let her get dirty, and let her eat dirt to build up her immune system. Wow. And I was like, wow. So you know what? We, now we got kids. We take kids to the playground. I don't want the kid to get dirty or eat dirt. What is wrong with me? So that day on... I let her get dirty, and I let her eat a little dirt. <laughs> wow. So that's what we got to do. We gotta, this next baby, got to let them eat some dirt, plant some dirt, dig some dirt, get in some dirt. Brilliant. Enjoy the dirt. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, Diane, do you have any final comments about quotes? No, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. So I guess this concludes this episode of Cousins Dropping Knowledge. Yes. All right. Have a great week. You too, Diane. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.